0: Christmas is coming, and already we know it will be different this year. That's the way it's been with this pandemic. This Christmas, some things we always do might have to wait till next year. On the Sundays of Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas, the pastors of Second Presbyterian Church are going to preach a sermon series called What Cannot Wait. Our sermons will be on those gifts of grace that are celebrated with Jesus' birth, which we cannot do without. Hope. Peace, joy, and love. Let us pray. Holy God, if there is anything said from this pulpit that is not according to your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, Let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and then believing obey. Amen. I have two scripture lessons this morning, the first from Jeremiah chapter 6. The prophet speaks, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They acted shamefully. They committed abomination. Yet they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I will punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. And then from Luke 2, in that region, there were shepherds keeping and living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord appeared before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for see, I am bringing you good news of a great joy for all the people. Thanks be to God. The den is a disaster zone. And the three-year-old boy is asleep on the couch. Chaos a half hour ago, but right now a moment of peace. His parents stand over their son. He's an angel, whispers the father with a smile. Only when he's asleep, whispers back the mother. A single mom, home from work and now doing chores, suddenly realizes that she is by herself in the laundry room and no child is calling her name. The unfolded laundry looks both clean and soft, and she lays her head down on the pile and closes her eyes. A moment of peace and quiet. A fence, topped by barbed wire, now marks the border. Right now, there exists a truce between the warring regions, a shaky peace, but will it last? A squad patrols the fence because you can never be too sure. A moment of calm, of quiet, of rest... Those are the kind of images I just described. Those are the kind of images we often think of when we think of peace, a still moment when nothing is happening. Google the word peace and check out the images graphic designers choose to illustrate it. A sky without clouds, or maybe a sky with a rainbow after a storm. A still, untroubled body of water. A field of flowers lazily standing under the sun, because right now there is no wind to buffet them. A solitary figure standing, looking at the horizon, or maybe sitting alone, enjoying the quiet and the view. A cemetery where peace means life has come to an end. It's this kind of peace that we long for when we say, I want some peace and quiet. And what we really mean is, I want to be left alone. Those images mean a lot to me. That's the kind of peace I frequently want. That's the kind of peace I need from time to time just to make it through the day, just a time to stop and rest, having those Sabbath moments. But that is not the kind of peace that Jeremiah is talking about in our passage. At this moment in Jeremiah's life and career, Judah is at peace, which is to say only that Judah is not at war. The Babylonians are a threat, but Judah pays tributes, that is, they pay extortion payments to keep the Babylonians from invading. But there is this economic crisis caused by paying those tributes and there is the threat of war which requires harsher measures to keep the peace at home. It's not great and you would think that this would be a situation when Judah's leaders would, would want change. They'd want it to be different. But despite the fact that the vast majority of people are suffering, the rich actually seem to be doing okay. Judah has been put at a tilt where privileges, protections, goods, and services flow toward the few at the great expense of the many. And in fact, Judah's king, Mataniah, is even building himself a new palace because the one he inherited from Josiah isn't grand enough. So those who hold the reins of power and control the flow of goods are really not that anxious for change. And fortunately for them, there are religious leaders who are more than happy to tell them that God doesn't want things to change either. God thinks that things are just fine. We're at peace, so let's keep the peace, they say. The whole country can just rest and be still. It's all right. Well, Jeremiah doesn't buy it. He's that kind of guy that's not fooled by appearances. He has the insight that later people like J.P. Snow and Jack London have that sometimes what we call civilization is the thin veneer of barbarism. Though the king's chosen religious advisors keep saying to him what he wants to hear, peace, peace, Jeremiah knows that there is no peace when justice and compassion are wanting. They don't even blush when they say it, Jeremiah says, of those yes-men. That's his way of saying they ought to be ashamed of themselves for blessing injustice as justice and for being casual about the suffering of the poor just because the privileged are doing okay. No, Jeremiah doesn't want quiet. He doesn't want something still and calm. He doesn't want to leave the king or the nation alone those graphic images of peace I spoke of earlier, those serene scenes of calm and tranquility are not for him. Peace for Jeremiah is going to have to be something that's busy, that's loud, that's disruptive, that's active. It's got to be that way because the peace that the prophet looks for, that peace that the Bible calls shalom, is something that's alive and it's working. Shalom is what God's love looks like, and that means it looks like people loving each other selflessly, not as emotion, but actively and sacrificially working for justice and showing compassion. It's people actively putting others' interests before their own because the well-being of everyone is everyone's concern. So as much as we all want and as much as we all need those moments of rest and calm where we are left alone and we can just catch a breath, let's get those images out of our minds when we think of the peace that Jeremiah speaks of. Let's think of communities, of people in relationship, communities that constantly need work and maintenance and renovation for there to be peace within them. And among them. But here's the thing though, and this goes to the heart of what Jeremiah says these images of people in relationship, these images of communities at peace, they can be accurate, but they also can be veneers. Here's an example of what I mean picture in your mind, if you will, a a, a large gathering at a family meal. What is it? I mean, uh, this could be a large reunited family where siblings and cousins are glad to be reunited with each other, feeling relaxed around each other, feeling relaxed with those who know them for who they are and love them still. It's loud because conversations are taking place at the same time. There are multiple tables here. At one table, there's this spirited debate going on as some express their opinions that they have to keep to themselves when they're back home among neighbors and coworkers. And at another table, folks are laughing harder than ever at stories that have been told many times before. At some point, a nephew will ask an aunt for advice about college, And a cousin will help another cousin think through issues about a relationship and a job. Special attention is given to a great-grandparent who needs a walker. And there is even some logistical conversation between him and his two children about what arrangements might need to be made in the next year for his care. Busy, active, sharing, a family working at being a family where everyone has a place and everyone is cared for and time flies. That could be what we're looking at. Or that same image of a large gathering at a holiday meal could be of a family that's hiding long-standing divisions and current strains actively working to keep resentments from surfacing. There is no debate going on. People aren't expressing disagreements because, you know, with this family, every time there's a disagreement, it too quickly becomes a shouting match. There is this uncle who seems to enjoy sharing his offensive views about anyone, really everyone who doesn't look, think, and love like him. And he seems to enjoy getting under other people's skins and the efforts that they have to make to try to change the subject or to pretend they're not hearing what he's saying. There is the daughter who has been made to come and barely hides her misery in being there. And there's the cousin and her husband acting as if they are happy, but really wondering if they're gonna still be a couple at this time next year. Resentments. Anger and sometimes disdain contained, which means lasting through this holiday gathering is something of an ordeal, and time grinds. I, I know. I know I've just been really extreme in painting those two pictures or in describing those two family gatherings, and the truth is, with most all extended families, they are combinations of what I just described. I'm only trying to make the simple point that neither conflict or peace are static and still neither justice or injustice, neither kindness nor cruelty, neither dysfunction or recovery, neither hatred or love are static. And still, they are busy, active, noisy, even hard because they all involve the active work of living. If we're on the same page about that, Well, let's now consider a story that's often depicted as something still and quiet and calm. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Do you see the stars twinkling? Do you feel the gentle night breeze on your cheek? Do you see the sheep standing around? They're so cute, they look like you want to just cuddle them or maybe Count them if you want to go to sleep. (laughs) But in this story, they're angels. And in the Bible, whenever there is an angel or a messenger from God, it's never to say everything's okay and it needs to stay the same and you don't have to do anything. They're always saying things like, you know, get out and don't come back, the angel to Adam and Eve at the garden. Go back and get your baby. The baby's not going to die. There's going to be a great nation that comes from this child, but you need to go back and take care of that child, the messenger says to Hagar. Go into the land that uh, God has promised to you, a messenger says to the Israelites, and work hard at not becoming like the people who are there. And then there's the message, you're going to have a baby that an angel says to Sarah and Hannah and Elizabeth and Mary, and do I need to explain why those are not announcements of calm? In our story, the multitude of the angels end up saying glory to God above and peace for the world below. Peace for the world below, it doesn't mean being still and being quiet and inactive. To fully appreciate what I mean, we, we need to consider the context Let's consider how chapter two of Luke's gospel begins. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. All the world? Well, yeah, mostly all the known world anyway. I mean, this is the days of the Roman Empire, the days of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome had to shed much blood and caused enormous carnage to bring powers to their knees. And now there is this massive imposed peace enforced by Roman legions and financed by taxes which will be maximized after a census is taken to determine everyone who can be taxed. Massive migrations are happening all over the region as people travel to their hometowns in order to be counted. This is the peace of Rome. And it's a veneer. And these shepherds, they are not resting. They are among the poorest of the poor, and they can't for a minute quit working, quit watching for predators of their sheep. And an angel of the Lord appears to them and tells them that in Bethlehem, The town of King David, a king is going to be born, another king of David, a Messiah, a Savior. His kingdom will be the promised kingdom of Shalom where justice is every day's project and every person's work. Where compassion does not have to wait to be requested by the desperate on the streets, but is actively shown toward those in need. And in the end of this scene, a multitude of the angels announce peace on earth to these shepherds. This is not a postcard announcement to inspire. This is a call for the world to change. The shepherds are not to rest and to be still. They are to move. They are to go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, to see this child who will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger because there is no room for them in the end, because there are all these massive migrations taking place. And they are to go now and they go with haste and they find this child and they make known all that they have seen and heard. And this child, this Prince of Peace will grow up and be someone who never stops. He'll preach, he'll teach, he'll heal the sick, he'll comfort some and upset others. He'll challenge the status quo and disturb the peace that is no peace. The day will come when the polishers of the veneer will try to get him to be calm, to be quiet, to be still by killing him. But it turns out that God's shalom cannot Be rested. It cannot be killed. That's the shalom, the peace of the Bible. What can that mean for our lives today? My sermon thus far has been full of images, and I want to close with just a few more. I want you to imagine a marriage needing healing. Imagine an angel appearing over that marriage and announcing peace. That announcement can't simply mean be calm and wait till it's all right, because that would be polishing the veneer over the marriage as it is. Really, the angel's announcement raises questions. What now? What does that mean for the marriage? What hard work of reconciliation needs to be done? What needs to be said? What needs to be heard? What needs to be looked at? What needs to change? Imagine a family dealing with addiction. Imagine an angel over that family proclaiming peace. What? love is being summoned? What tough love is being summoned? Who needs to admit a problem and ask for help? What's happening with the system of this family that has to change? What enabling has to end and what steps need to be taken? Imagine a community where homelessness is a problem and where some streets are not safe and where there are too many hard divisions of race and class Imagine an angel appearing and proclaiming peace. What then is being called forth from a people of faith or from people of power? What systems need to change? What programs need to be supported or even invented? Who needs to get to know who? Who needs to join forces? Who can we get together to do something about this? Imagine a country polarized with each half of the country demonizing the other half. Imagine an angel appearing over that nation, that country, proclaiming peace. Well, what truth needs to be told and what lies need to stop? What self-righteousness needs to end? What conversations need to take place? What compromises need to be made? What voices need to be heard, as hard as some of those voices are to listen to? What work of reconciliation needs to be done in this country to overcome the work being done to divide the country? Or imagine your own life, where you are in your own family and your community and your nation and world. And think of the sky above you just littered with angels who won't stay still. They won't stop singing. It seems as if they're not going to stop ever. You can't ignore them until you start answering some questions. What needs to change? What work do you need to do? What kind of person is God calling you to become? What sacrifices do you need to make? What needs to change for more of the shalom of God's kingdom to be more real in your life? Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.